Hello, 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 hello. What's going on, everybody? How y'all doing? How are you guys doing on this? Well, for you guys, it's going to be Monday evening, Tuesday morning, maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday. But the point is, it will be next week because I am recording this on a Friday night like the super popular guy am I right am I right I'm just super popular anyway if you guys hear a weird hissing sound or a clicky kind of metal sound please disregard uh that would be my probably late 19th early 20th century radiator going ham right now because New York City is a ball of freaking ice. I don't know why I said freaking. This is an explicit podcast, but I'm just going to say freaking. Anyway, all that Midwestern Arctic air that Good Morning America and all those shows have probably been yapping about for the past week. I have no idea. A, I don't watch TV that early. B, I don't have TV to watch. Cut the core, baby. Netflix, Hulu, I do all that. Um, point being, it sucks to be in New York City right now. And this is the time every year where A, I question all of my life decisions up to this point so far. It happens on a yearly basis. And B, I can't help but think to myself that there are people out there near me, mind you, close in proximity to me, who spend their hard-earned dollars going on vacation to New York this time of year when it is an ice block and it is freezing and half of them probably convince themselves that they actually like it. This place is miserable. I understand hotels are probably way cheaper probably getting those deals, those discounts on flights, etc. But as somebody who's lived here for on and off 11 years, but have lived in the tri-state area, if I wasn't in the city, I was 12 miles outside of the city in New Jersey. Spend more money when it's actually worth it. I've been here far too long to be able to recommend coming here when the weather's this bad just because you save money. How about 
if you're if New York is one of your dream vacations or whatever, wait twice as long and save twice as much money as you would have if you were saving to try to come here in the middle of January or February because it is not worth it. It is miserable. And I'm not being a New York hater. I'm not being a New York hater in the least bit. Because when New York City is really nice, it is totally worth vacationing here. It's totally worth it. Not for me, because it's always been, like, I've always referred to New York as the city. Like, in people in North Jersey, you just refer to New York as the city. Are you going to the city? Like, I've it's always been in my backyard. I could see the Empire State Building from my childhood bedroom window, for Christ's sake. So for me, not much of a vacation spot. There's cool stuff still, like new things. You can live here forever and you always find new stuff. But the, there was never any allure with New York City for me. There was never at one point in my life where I felt like New York was alluring the or like romanticized uh, in any capacity compared to somebody born you know somewhere else who romanticizes New York because of all the movies and whatnot. However, though, there is a turning point for me, and I would say most people I know who, who uh, I've had conversations with about this kind of thing, there is a turning point. For me, it was around 18. For a lot of people, it was around 21, where you start to see why New York is considered like a cool or an alluring or an attractive place for a young adult. Because New York for a young adult is very different for New York as like a kid. When you can start going to bars and you can start drinking a little and having a crazy bender in your early 20s, that's when shit starts to get real in New York. Because uh, I remember going into the city all the time as a kid. And it was just too chaotic when you're a kid. Because it's just as crowded, just as uncomfortable. But you're small and everyone's bigger than you. So on top of the buildings being big, the people are also everywhere and taller than you. And the whole thing is just kind of overwhelming unless you're in a cool spot. But like to me, I always felt like walking around in Midtown was overwhelming. I mean, Times Square got to me with all the lights and stuff when I was little. I always liked that. But the overall experience in the places where tourists go in New York just felt a little overwhelming. It always kind of felt that way. But what's crazy is like when when you start turning 21 or whatever, I used to sneak into bars illegally when I was 18 and drink. So that's why I was 18 for me. But uh, And I, I knew some people who were a little older living in the city, and they knew the bars that don't card. I don't know if that's even a thing anymore. I feel like New York's really cracked down on that, but I got in at the tail end of that around 2006, 7, 8, that range. Um, you could still find some spots, particularly in the Lower East Side, where you can uh, get in as an underager and still get yourself a $3, $4PBR and you good and you good. Sorry for the hissing by the way. It's starting to rev up a little. Hear that? Not sure if it's getting picked up or not, but there's some steam going on. Yeah, my apartment's a sauna this time of year by the way, too. I can't control the radiator. 
um, and it gets cranked up to about 90 plus degrees in here. And for this podcast, I always have the windows all the way down because you want to be hearing that outside nonsense. Anyway, more New York shit. Uh, yeah, I was able to sneak into bars back in the day. This has turned into a little story time, hasn't it? I was not expecting this to be a New York story time episode. And we'll talk about some other stuff, but hey, might as well run with it, right? Um, but yeah, there were some bars in the Lower East Side. Lower East Side. One was called Stitch Bar. I remember that. Or And then there was, not Stitch Bar, not Stitch Bar. Stitch Bar is a current bar in Midtown. Tile Bar, that's what I'm thinking of. Tile Bar uh, was a bar in the Lower East Side where I used to go and get my drink on as a minor. Um, but you just kind of feel it, and it gets flipped. You wind up hating Times Square, hating Midtown still, so I guess that part doesn't get flipped. But Times Square becomes awful automatically, and everything below 14th Street becomes super cool and super exciting. And I've been, you know, to Union Square and the Lower East Side for years before that. I used to shop. I used to do my back-to-school shopping at the store called Yellow Rat Bastard. That was kind of like a skateboard store, sort of like a Zoomies. If you ever go to the mall, um, Yellow Rat Bastard was sort of like Zoomies, but a little edgier. You always felt like someone was selling heroin in the back. And uh, the floors are kind of dirty, like there might be actual rats on the floor. So it was like a Zoomies, but it had a little more of that old school East Village, Lower East Side grunginess kind of vibe to it. That kind of birthed Supreme and all that. It, it felt sort of like an artifact from that era that maintained itself into like the 2000 early 2010s i guess it's closed now doesn't exist anymore but uh yeah that's where i did my back to school shopping but still even then i liked that area more when i was in high school or middle school or whatever but i still never felt like it was anything special where once you start getting sloppy then it starts feeling a little groovy down there um What's funny is, I think last Sunday, so like almost a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I can't even remember, for a little bit I watched, uh, just because it was on, don't get on my case for this, a little bit of a Rent the Musical, oh my god, how awful is that play? I remember seeing Rent the Musical live on Broadway, maybe like... 2006, somewhere in there, 2005 maybe, I don't know. And I thought it was a pretty good show at the time. And now I watch this thing on Fox. And, like, how did anyone enjoy the fact that this show is about a bunch of people with HIV just refusing to pay rent just because? It really shows how the 90s were just a totally different era because that stuff was romanticized and wrapped in this package of bohemian lifestyle and like romanticized kind of like the grunginess of pursuing your art, bruh. You know, I guess grunge music was still on and alt rock for sure was still kind of popular when Rent first came out in 96, I want to say. So I guess it was kind of just riding the high from that era a little bit. But now it's just like, what? 
these dirty motherfuckers are the protagonists and their whole thing is just not paying rent and Benny the landlord is the antagonist because he's a sellout and decided to make something of himself what what I'm just like fuck you you renters and what's with the guy that's like the tech psychology professor who's gay and is also not paying rent but is a professor at a university and his name's Tom Collins he's named after a cocktail like what what is with these character profiles I did not understand a damn thing and it made me seriously question how that became a hit now don't get me wrong Seasons of Love is a fucking jam. That is a jam, jammy, jam, jam. I will get down to that song whenever. I want to almost remix that thing. It's a banger. Undeniable. But the play, the narrative, the character development, ugh. I do not understand how you can make those characters the good guys. And then on top of that, I read later it wasn't even live because the lead guy broke his foot in dress rehearsal. So they literally just showed a dress rehearsal, which is why the audio was so bad. So that thing was just kind of a disaster. I feel bad for the actors, though. It's not their fault. Um, But still. That's like a 90s thing that just did not stand the test of time. Definitely not like a, a... Shakespearean novel but you know what I don't get any of these Broadway musicals I don't want to see Hamilton at all I listened to the soundtrack once biggest piece of garbage ever it's like schoolhouse rock rapping about 18th century history poorly I don't get it I do not understand musical theater particularly when they're trying to do rap it's just like rap like it just sounds like a hip teacher trying to rap and I say that because in high school I had a hip teacher who tried to rap and it sounded exactly like fucking Hamilton but it was about algebra yeah Mr. Smith he didn't teach us shit he would just try to rap battle us make stupid videos and show his videos about him and his weird friends rapping stuff I don't know and then also with Hamilton like talking about how fresh of a concept it is bitch please do you guys remember an MTV did, uh, what was it, Carmen, a hip hopera starring, I don't know, Beyonce back in the day? Oh, you didn't know about that? Google that shit. Hip hopera, Carmen, with Beyonce. It was one of Beyonce's first acting anythings ever. It also had most definite, um, some other stuff. I'm Googling this shit right now. Carmen, a hip hopera. 2001 fuck you Hamilton came out in 2001 maybe it aired in 2002 the latest let's look at this cast yeah it had most deaf Beyonce Mackay Pfeiffer Rod Digger from Flip Mode Squad DeBrat Jermaine Dupree Wycliffe Jean come on son come on that thing shits all over Hamilton and it came out a decade earlier. Check that out. 
talking about Hamilton being some fresh new concept. Anyway, what else is going on? Oh, yeah, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. This weekend is the Super Bowl. It'll be over by the time this gets released. But um, the Super Bowl comes out this week. Biggest cultural event of the year here in America, right? A lot of people will just watch it for the commercials, and it's an excuse to party. But I actually enjoy the game of football, Americano. Football Americano. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy for Tom Brady, but it's kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer to have the Rams and the Patriots again because I'm just bored of the Patriots. I'm bored. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of them. They've already played the Rams in the Super Bowl, by the way, in this dynasty run. That's how they started their dynasty, was by playing the Rams. So I'm kind of like, I want new blood, man. I wanted this to be a Chiefs-Saints Super Bowl so bad. So bad, didn't happen. I went to New Orleans back in September and was there on an NFL weekend and saw how hyped the place gets, and I was like, man, these people deserve it. These people deserve it. They care so much more about their teams than New York City locals do about the Jets or Giants. And I'm for sure positive L.A. locals uh, with the Rams and Chargers, of all things. I mean, I'm sure the Rams have the bandwagon fans this year because they're really good, but they're not real. They're fake. It's Hollywood, baby. Uh, so yeah, not too, not too, uh, psyched about the teams this year. Can't say I'm particularly pumped, but, but my parents throw a big party every year. There's always tons of good food. I get to hang out. I kind of almost like it when I don't care as much about the Super Bowls in a way. In a way. In a way. Because I'm not overly invested in the games. Although those years the Giants won were pretty fun. So I take that statement back totally. But yeah, it's a huge cultural event. I was looking at some survey data that some company I've never heard of, nicershoes.com, released. And uh, I always find advertising just as a subject fascinating. I mean, it kind of ties into this show. Consumer behavior... Uh, advertising also gives you a good uh, takes a good temperature of the the cultural landscape of a place at a particular time so I find it the Super Bowl ads every year really interesting in terms of like how far or how not far companies are willing to push the envelope and uh over the past year with the Me Too movement and everything, I'm I'm super curious to see if anyone does anything edgy at all. Or if everyone plays it safe. Amazon released an ad a couple days ago where it was about just the Echo and uh, they're trying to make it funny and cute. It has Harrison Ford, it has the girls from Broad City, a few other celebrities. It was all right, but it, it was it was it was like slapstick PG thirteen funny, but there was nothing really that edgy. Um, but anyway, back to this survey data. It just talks about what types of commercials 
might influence a consumer to make a purchasing decision. Um, and let me give you a quick rundown. So this was a survey of 2,000 people in the United States by Nicer Shoes, whoever they are. Half men, half women, all different regions of the country. Um, so this is the rundown. So the survey indicates 77.1% voted that politically charged ads are not compelling. Surprise, surprise. But 60% voted that funny ads motivated, for them, motivated them to buy immediately. All right, so that was pretty commonsensical. Nothing new there. Funny works. Politically charged doesn't. When corporations try to make a statement on a social level, it tends to usually fall flat unless it's really well executed. Because people aren't dumb, man. I don't get it. I go to work every day and I hear these internal discussions about how we advertise to consumers. And over and over again, people always assume that the consumer base is dumber than they actually are. People are smart. People know corporations are playing smoke and mirrors games with you the entire time they are in any advertising campaign, and they just want your money. And the scummiest ones you see are these new Instagram ads for, like, digital marketing and click funnels and stuff where they, like, teach you, like, this is the million-dollar script that we're giving to you for free if you join our email list. And they're just, you know, they're doing the Ty Lopez bullshit where they're like in front of a house with a Lamborghini talking to you about how they changed their life and blah, 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 blah. When they're really just charging you $2,000 for a shitty ebook and they've probably done an Instagram campaign or a Facebook ads campaign that was successful like once or twice with client money, not their own personal money. And uh, yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. People know corporations are full of shit. I say this as I almost got duped to spending $6,000 on a lead generation program that I talked about two episodes ago. So check that one out if this is your first run on Not Rocket Science. Anyway, let's continue with the survey data. Oh, this is from uh, PRWeb.com, by the way, which is a legit site for press releases. Um, so let's see, any other interesting stats? So, okay, so they talk a little bit about that uh, Colin Kaepernick ad from Nike, I believe, was that was aired. That was aired last year. Sorry, I just bit my lip. Um, turns out Nike's endorsement of Kaepernick didn't really motivate the way one might think. 61.8% of respondents say that they'd be less motivated to make a purchase if a celebrity was featured in a commercial. Yeah, but that was a little different than your normal celebrity commercial. It also turns out that those that are emotionally charged have a mixed response. Weird phrasing there. But anyway, about 45% voted that yes, emotionally charged ads are a checkbook peeler and roughly the same amount voted no. Below you'll find some other interesting stats that we gleaned over a Super Bowl survey. 39.4% are not particularly motivated to buy things during the Super Bowl. 83 said that commercials for dating apps don't motivate them to download for later usage. 59% believe Super Bowl commercials are tailored specifically for their respective demographics. All right. This stuff is pretty commonsensical, but what to me what's interesting about this is I don't think people are ever really motivated to buy things when they're watching entertainment for an escapist motive. 
Like most people watch TV for escapism, and I don't think any one ad generally influences any purchasing decision for the most part, or if it does, it does a tiny level. <clears throat> for a product that's contextual is what people are watching. So in the case of Super Bowl or like the NBA Finals, like a really well done sneaker commercial might influence someone that's hardcore into sneaker culture. But in general, if you're watching, you know, the Big Bang Theory and a sneaker commercial comes on, I don't think it's going to make someone who doesn't give a shit about sneakers that much more compelled to buy those sneakers. Um, dating apps, yeah. When people are trying to eat chicken wings and watch the Patriots lose, I don't think dating's on their mind anyway. And uh, 59% believe Super Bowl commercials are tailored specifically to their respective demographics. Yeah, no shit. Almost all Super Bowl ads are tailored to some sort of demographic. When you're spending millions of dollars for a 30-second to a minute ad, you're going to tailor that thing and optimize it as much as you possibly can. (laughs) But uh, even still, I think most of these companies are just throwing money out the window. I think this is an old school model of advertising. It's not contextual. You're just you're just grabbing a huge net and throwing it out there and hoping hoping you catch something. Um, if I were a CEO at a major company, there's no way you can convince me to invest that kind of budget into a TV ad just because a lot of people watch a sporting event. I don't think I've ever watched. I don't think I've ever bought anything from a Super Bowl ad. And that's why these surveys trip me out a little cuz like in where I in the field that I work in, which is user experience design, interface design, we use surveys too, but we use surveys in a very different way um than market researchers tend to use surveys. We don't take surveys very seriously. Surveys are a prospecting tool for figuring out if you're trying to build a new product or a new business from scratch, a user persona or a an aspect of a user persona, like a building block for what your ultimate persona for your business is going to be. And you use a survey to ask questions to get a baseline pulse of potential consumers potential customers and then you kind of figure out patterns that arise in that survey and then you reach out to people that fit um the persona type for each of those patterns or in the marketing world you'd call it like building your customer avatar but what you're trying to do is scout the right people to bring in to do user interviews um which basically is a much more in-depth process than when you get with a survey where you try to figure out what people <clears throat> like about similar types of apps or websites you're trying to build, don't like um, how they use them, their behaviors and how they use them, and then the the context or scenarios for when they use them. So you're trying to do all that stuff, but the survey is really just step one to get there. It's not so much synthesizing the results and taking them for face value on what people are going to do because there's um pretty much validated understanding in the industry i work in at least that 
what people say and what people do are two different things. And it's the thing that a million podcasts have already mentioned with Henry Ford, where it's like the Henry Ford quote was, if we gave people what they said they want, we'd build uh, better carriages with faster horses, something like that, instead of the car uh, at a at a cheaper price point. It's about synthesizing how people behave and a little bit about what people say they want and then figuring out a solution that best supports a business in a proprietary kind of like hard to copy way that will make you a lot of money and has a high margin. That's always the goal with this stuff. And uh, survey data, as you can see by the bullshit survey that I just read you, um, is not the most effective way to capture that, in my opinion. And when it comes to purchasing decisions off of advertisements, it's about building a relationship of trust or familiarity or, uh, I guess, comfort between a brand and a consumer. And one ad isn't going to do that. It's going to take multiple ads over years Um, which is why spending all this money on one Super Bowl ad isn't a good idea. The reason why influencer marketing works is because influencers have more trust with a consumer than a brand because a brand automatically in a consumer's head, a brand will have this uh, dark cloud around them as somebody that's trying to suck money out of you, whereas an influencer, particularly an influencer that isn't like a Ty Lopez type. They, particularly if they're kind of like a comedian or something, Joe Rogan's a great example of this. Um, They will earn your trust because they're authentic and they come across as real. And when they sell you stuff, they're telling you I'm selling you stuff. Like, I'll be real with you guys. These infatuation ads that I run at every episode... I like the infatuation as a service and everything, but like I'm doing this just because Anchor, the other ad I do, released, you know, a, a sponsorships program where, you know, you get a sponsor for free to run on your podcast. And I'm like, why not? Why not make a couple cents on this? It's an ad. I go on the infatuation sometimes. I go on their Instagram account. I follow them. I use the service. I like what they're doing. It's a very interesting model, but like, I'm not going to pretend that, like, I'm on the infatuation 24 hours a day or anything. It's just something I occasionally use. And then Anchor emailed me the sponsorship opportunity. And I was like, hey, why not? Let's try out the sponsorships thing, whatever. Even though I'm not making bank off of it or anything. I'm barely making anything off of it, to be honest, because about 11 of you actually listen to this. Actually, the the listenership's gotten a little better recently. Um Maybe not after this episode. <laughs> anyway, um, point being, surveys are not the best research tool to figure out what people's actual intents and behaviors are. And when it comes to purchasing decisions, it is a longitudinal study. It is not a snapshot where one ad is going to flip the script, particularly at an event like the Super Bowl that's that. Uh, broad-based and is for an event that, while is a big cultural event, is a sporting event. 
So, you know, the only companies that might even get a purchasing decision on a Super Bowl ad are athletic-based companies, companies that where you're in that athletics kind of domain. Um, so, yeah, overall, I thought the survey results were pretty silly, but it made me think about Super Bowl ads that I liked a lot. And what I realized is what I like a lot, the Super Bowl ads that really make uh draw reaction out of me are not the ones that have necessarily led to anything close to a purchasing decision which to me validates the whole idea that a super bowl ad is just a brand builder an equity builder it is not a hook it is not an offer it is not something that's going to make you you know emotionally tied to buying whatever the product is that they're pushing and when you get into studying these digital marketing snake oil salesmen that try to like sell you on their offer, that occasionally works sometimes, to be honest. Um, you know, they tell you about, you know, sque- get hitting you with the squeeze page and then the page with the irresistible offer when you try to exit out and yada, 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 and all their click funnels and all that stuff. But what they're doing is they're giving you something with higher stakes if the you know the exclusivity thing with the fake countdown ticker saying there's only 30 minutes left to sign up for this thing or um you know you get all this shit free if you buy this one thing those offers will play with you psychologically a lot more than a TV ad that is being broadcast to you know however 100 million people because end of the day having a wide reach doesn't mean anything it's about going vertical not horizontal because i've seen some killer super bowl ads that companies probably spent millions of dollars to air and other millions of dollars to hire agencies to concept storyboard film shoot edit do post for etc to me the best super bowl ad is probably hmm there's like the waza thing which i thought was cute but kind of annoying after a while but to me the best super bowl ad of all time was the uh terry tate office linebacker campaign by reebok i don't know if you guys remember that i think this came out maybe like the early 2000 like 2001 2002 somewhere in there or basically uh for those of you who never seen it it's this video about how Reebok hired a linebacker named Terry Tate to kind of like get the office straight. And basically what it is is when people uh, aren't working hard or whatever in the office, he just fucking berserkers them. And that's the whole concept. And it is so fun. Here, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm just going to play this shit right now. Where is it? Super Bowl. And on my, I'm going to play it on my phone. Because I think even the audio alone, it's one of those ads where the audio alone will let you get the gist of it. But just Google, or I should say YouTube, Terry Tate Office Linebacker, because they made tons and tons of commercials off this. This was like a big campaign for them. Back in the day, I don't think you could do this now, because he tackles women too. He tackles the crap out of some women. Can't do that anymore. Those days are over. Let's see. Oh, come on. 
Don't you hate it when some unknown-ass YouTuber does their intro videos where they're just playing someone else's content? So some YouTuber who's uploading this is just uploading the commercial, but they still do the shitty like intro video. And it's uh, something they obviously made in MS Paint. It's not even like a good one with motion graphics. It's just a scissor on a note card and then some shitty Comic Sans saying a Stripe Scissors production. Man, some bullshit. Anyway, here you go. Terry Tate, office linebacker. Come on, stop it. When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy. But I'm a firm believer in paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. <laughs> We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet on your TPS reports, Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Janice! But what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family. He fits right in here. That's a long distance call, Doug. To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us ten Terry Tates. I mean, just the audio alone was so funny. I remember watching that. That probably came out when I was in middle school. And, uh, oh, it was my favorite. I used to go online before YouTube and try to find that video and watch it on, like, I don't know. It was, like, maybe Daily Motion was out back then. I don't I don't even remember at this point. But anyway, that was a brilliant commercial. And uh, even that didn't – I bought Reebok stuff, don't get me wrong. But – uh I never bought Reebok stuff because of that ad. I just love that ad. I bought Reebok stuff because I liked Allen Iverson. And for a while, it was really cool to wear Allen Iverson gear. So I used to buy the Allen Iverson sneakers. They were a little cheaper than Air Jordan. I always wanted Air Jordans as a kid, but uh, they were a little too expensive. The idea of me being eight years old or... 10 years old or whatever and having shoes that cost $120 or something was a tad ridiculous. So I settled for the the $80 to $90 Allen Iversons. Um, But again, that's a person. You know, build brand on a personal level. It wasn't because of that commercial with a fake linebacker uh, just destroying people in an office as much as I enjoyed it. Purchasing decisions are made in a long-form manner by building trust with your customers any way you can with the easiest way being through a person. That's, in my opinion, how it works. Or you just put out great products decade after decade after decade. Um, But even like Nike, for example, you know, Air Jordan's really what took them to the next level. People were influenced by Michael Jordan. They built trust around Michael Jordan. Behind the scenes, Michael Jordan, kind of an asshole. I mean, based on the stories that are now out there. But uh, pre-internet days, baby. If you had a good PR team, that stuff will never bubble up. And uh, it didn't. 
But that's the theme of the day. These surveys about Super Bowl ads, purchasing decisions, don't mean shit. It's all about hitting the right consumer base and building a long-form relationship with them where they eventually exercise trust in you. And you will not get that on any level, particularly at scale, through a Super Bowl ad just because you're trying to cast a wide net and have a lot of eyeballs on you. Distribution matters, but it's distribution over time to the right demographic, not a... Not just throwing something out there to the most amount of people and uh, expecting returns. That's my take on advertising, and particularly Super Bowl advertising. Brands still do it. Maybe it works if you're big enough, but uh, this day and age, I'd spend that stuff on Instagram ads and YouTube ads and Facebook ads and Google ads. Facebook and Google to a lesser extent. Um, everything I'm reading, Facebook ads are going to get really expensive in 2019 because, uh, space to even have the ads on Facebook's interface is starting to come at a premium. So when that happens, the companies tend to just drive up the costs, um, you know, supply demand 101 kind of deal so facebook's gonna get expensive so i think instagram and youtube's probably the way to go at least that's what the digital marketing experts that i listen to are saying uh if you guys want a really good digital marketing expert that has free content and actually tries to help you look up miles beckler miles beckler is probably my go-to digital marketing resource right now his content's awesome check him out this is not an affiliate or anything i'm just a fan of his um, so if you want to get into this stuff, building relationships with your customer base, if you want to start creating a brand, read up on Miles Beckler at his blog, join his email list, because he's not going to try to sell you shit, um, other than an occasional affiliate link, but that's okay. Uh, and his, his prediction is Facebook ads are going to get super expensive this year too. So um, along with many others. So anyway... That's it. I'm just rambling now. This was not the best structured episode of all time, but uh, I kind of like talking about New York for a while, get my travel tour guide on. And uh, I love this advertising stuff. It's kind of like I always say what I do and advertising, marketing, it's kind of like the yin and the yang when it comes to dealing with a user or consumer and uh, I like studying the dark side a little bit here and there. It just fascinates me. And uh, I'm going to keep putting stuff out there on the digital marketing side, the UX side, the voice UX side, which is I'm all up in at work right now, designing this uh, new voice skill for my company. So check out for more of that if you're interested. I might start a blog for that. We'll see what happens. But anyway, I'm going to keep pumping these up out there. I'm back active on the twitter and the gram just started posting content again took a little break i had burnout there's a little churn and burn going on when i first started those accounts and was hustling heavy but i'm back on i'm gonna be a little more casual about it but if you want to hit us up it is at nrs underscore show on twitter and instagram and uh 
can email us at not rocket science show at gmail.com as always thank you guys that is it for today but i will see you next week this is sean hope you guys have a good one